good issue for all women. Hello and welcome to the Sunday Chops, part one or two, depending on how you're listening. Over on the other episode, you can hear our Jen's full interview with football legend Enia Luko about her incredible career to date, how to get more women involved in the game, the racism Enia faced and fought, and her memoir, They Don't Teach This. It's a cracking listen, I heartily recommend. This Chops you're listening to right now is the third in our September series all about the menopause. You'll no doubt be pleased to hear that there are some positives covered in this eye-opening chat I had with the brilliant Elaine Miller, queen of the pelvic floor, or as my uh, former Pilates teacher used to call them, wanny muscles. Lovely northern stuff. Anyway, that isn't Elaine's official title, which is physiotherapist, but it bloody should be. Given her work with women's gynecological equipment, Elaine is fascinated by all things peri and menopause and has done a lot of research around it. I found her investigations into how it affects us in the workplace particularly interesting, and I'm, I'm pretty sure you will too. Elaine is also very funny, and her show Gusset Grippers is both hilarious and informative. Catch it if you can, and definitely give her a follow on Twitter at Gussie Grips and Instagram where she's Gusset Grippers. But you know, here she is now. Hello, I am joined on the phone by Elaine Miller, physiotherapist, comedian, and quite probably known to a fair few listeners as Gusset Grippers. Hey Elaine. Hello, thanks for having me on. We've got you on to chat about the menopause. Now, I'm really interested in the menopause because one, we get so little information about it. And also, given that I am 42 now, I have got a vested interest as it is pretty much on the horizon. Yeah, it frustrates me that we don't have any sort of vehicle established in the UK or anywhere to deliver evidence-based information to women about a process that their body is going to go through if they live long enough. It seems totally illogical to me. So what piqued your interest in the menopause and made you start studying it? Well, same as you and everybody else. It got to a stage of life where I thought, oh my God, this is probably me. This is what's going to happen. So the average age of menopause is 51. You can get symptoms from changes sort of 10 years before that. So by the time you're 40, you really should be getting education about what to look out for. And I was starting to get problems with my memory, like real brain fog. Like people when they're pregnant describe losing their mind and having pregnancy fog and the same thing can happen when you're menopausal. And it occurred to me because of my line of work, I wonder if it's the symptoms of perimenopause. So I started reading up about it. But if you don't know that, then you just think that you're quietly going mad. That is brand new information for me, this uh, memory fog. So could you tell us a bit more about the various physical, emotional and mental realities for women during and indeed after this phase? The mental health effect of menopause is huge and it's really it's underreported. There's some work being done by Louise Newson, who's a GP, um, looking at this and she reckons that a significant number of women who are on antidepressants are probably menopausal or perimenopausal and they're presenting with symptoms of depression to their GP. So they're getting what you would think would be an appropriate treatment, but actually if it's caused by loss of oestrogen, Giving you an antidepressant isn't going to address the source of the problem. You need to have your oestrogen replaced. Mm-hmm. And once women go on HRT, they find that their mood changes for the better, if that's one of the symptoms that they have. I mean, there's something like 91 different symptoms of the menopause. Crikey. It's massive. So like PMS problems that women might have had since they started having periods can become much more marked around about perimenopause time. 
and mood disorders. So things like that mimic depression or insomnia or, you know, if you have an early morning weakening, that is a symptom of depression, but it's also a symptom of menopause. Mm -hmm. And that can affect people at work. So if you're talking about these are issues that affect women in their 40s, they're often, you know, they're at the peak of their career. They're nailing it at work. They've got lots of experience lots of skills and knowledge and then they find that they're bursting into tears in meetings that really shouldn't be a problem for them, unaware that this could be a symptom of just a normal physiological event that they're going through. I'd like to touch on the workplace a little bit later but I know that mm-hmm. one of the big physical problems that comes with the menopause that you are absolutely fascinated by is vaginal atrophy. Oh yeah. Which sounds horrific mate. So I'm tentatively, yeah. with eyes closed and fingers near my ears, going to ask you to tell me about it. Yeah, I get really cross about vaginal atrophy <laughs> because we don't talk about it anywhere. And if once so, the the skin in your vulva and up your bits is really estrogen thirsty tissue. So when you are 35, then the levels of your estrogen start to fall down ever so slightly and ever so gradually. When you get into perimenopausal stage, then it really starts to drop more rapidly. And by the time that you're a year past your last period, you're no longer producing estrogen. So that affects this tissue. And it means that the, I mean, there's some really nasty terminology that people use to describe older women's vaginas, which really bother me enormously so much I'm not even going to bother saying them you know what they are but it is true that you do get drier that's one of the symptoms and because if you're sexually active you're relying on your vagina being able to lubricate itself so that sex is fun and not painful that ability is going to be disrupted because of loss of estrogen so I'm quite angry actually that we don't talk about this because women are having uncomfortable sex if they're into penetrative sex and it's miserable and there's no need for it because what they need is a bit of lube we need to have every woman over 40 understanding that lube is your friend and now that you can buy now that you can buy um, viagra over the counter these are generally speaking you know middle-aged men that are buying this product and their partners if they're heterosexual are likely to be a middle-aged woman so he's delighted with himself because he's got this stonking <laughs> erection and he wants to go and put it somewhere. And she's got a bit of vaginal atrophy going on that she doesn't know about and it hurts. So you should be prescribing Viagra or buying it with a wee carton of lube attached to the part that of the That is a cracking idea. It's just that people don't think about the practical application of the medication because it's all about the willy. If it was men whose testicles shriveled up and became uncomfortable, we would all know about the treatment that would help them. Oh, there'd be special trousers and everything. (laughs) It just wouldn't be a thing because it would be addressed instantly because, as we know, penises are really, really important. (laughs) Um, So there's a simple treatment that you can get, a, a little pessary that you put in, You know, it varies how often you use it. Usually it's about twice a week that you put in and it delivers estrogen locally and that just juices up all of the tissues so that they're not painful. Really bad vaginal atrophy looks a bit like dermatitis in your bits and it's incredibly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It makes everything really raw and itchy and women can't sleep because they're itchy and sore. It causes a lot of pain when you pee. So people think it's cystitis, but it's not. So the thing about vaginal atrophy is not just sex, because obviously it's up to the individual woman as to whether that remains an important part of their life. 
But mm-hmm. it's also to do with like not being able to sleep, discomfort when you're peeing. It, it covers loads of stuff. Yeah, not being able to wear pants, underwear, which can be a challenge because if you've also got pelvic floor problems starting to manifest themselves, then if you're relying on pads and you've got a bit of vaginal irritation going on, it's incredibly uncomfortable. And it's associated with urinary tract infections because it's not just the vaginal tissue that gets disrupted by this, it's the tissue around about your urethra as well. So if you're wearing jeans or if you've got even just a seam in your clothing or if you're into horse riding or something like that, that in itself can be enough irritation to mean that you land up with a urinary tract infection because of vaginal atrophy that is preventable and manageable for every single woman. Even if you've had an oestrogen-driven cancer in your history, you can still use these oestrogen pessaries because the dose is so low and so localised that there isn't an elevation in the cancer risk. If you go present with symptoms of having vaginal atrophy, you should be getting the prescription for it. I don't hear from women saying that they're having a problem accessing it. I hear women saying, what on earth is vaginal atrophy? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness, that explains quite a lot. I think the barrier tends to be more that women don't know that this is an inevitable consequence of the menopause and that there's help available for it. There's an awful lot of internalising, you know, feelings about getting older when it comes to addressing the menopause and quite a lot sticking our head in the sand because we don't tell women these are symptoms and we don't need to put up with it. Big sigh. You just said there is a a lot of sort of stigma still surrounding the menopause. Why do you think that is? Oh, because nobody matters in this world less than an old woman, unless she's a poor old woman or a poor old woman of colour. They're pretty much the lowest of the heap. Women's health in general has lacked attention from the medical community and from research. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to things like, like we were talking about vaginal atrophy, when it comes to sex and penetration, almost all of the research is looking at can you get it in? And once a woman's past her fertile stage, then it's almost as if you're expected that that is no longer part of your life. But with a, an ageing population... A baby girl born today has got quite a good chance of living to being 100. So she has got potential to have as many post-menopausal years as she had pre-menopausal years in her life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life is short. If you're, if you're going to be living it, you might as well a long time. You might as well be making it fun. Um, <laughs> and if women can prevent vaginal atrophy symptoms from interfering with it, then there's absolutely nothing wrong with them wanting to have a, an intimate relationship if that's what they're interested in. But definitely there's a lot of gaps in our knowledge because this is, after all, only something that's going to affect every single woman that manages to live to the age of 51. So why would we bother looking at it, you know? Oh, come on, Elaine. Come on. <laughs> We're only 52% of the population. What's your fucking problem? <laughs> so rare. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. And I, I feel like I hear a lot of time about women complaining about the GPs and not being able to access services and I think it's not that GPs are trying to deny them help you don't go into to be a GP if that's what your approach to healthcare is that's just not why they're in the job they're just really really busy and not getting the information about menopause taught as undergrads so that once they're in their their specialist field, most of the information is then getting taught from, you know, a pharmaceutical point of view. And actually there's an awful lot of just basic care and education that should be done out with the GP surgery so that women are self-managing and at least aware of what they can expect from this inevitable and largely normal physiological process. 
you have led me very nicely onto a question I wanted to ask. So both my grandma and my mum got really, really agoraphobic around the menopause and did not want to leave the house. And I just mm. wondered how much can a woman look to her mother if her mum is still around for what might happen when she hits the perimenopause and the menopause? Some people report that you would follow what your, your mother's path is, but I don't know that it's evidence-based. I think it's probably more anecdotal than anything else. You know, I hope it's true because my mother didn't seem to have any problems with perimenopause, not that I remember particularly. Whereas I hope um, it isn't true because I want to be able to leave the house. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a common one, real anxiety about about situations that never bothered you before. That's often one of the early symptoms of having sort of mental health issues that oh, really? are menopause related, yeah. And I guess it's like, so your mum, and this has moved on in generations, I know that my mum didn't necessarily get very much information from my grandma because it was taboo to talk about, you know, your bits and stuff. But my mum told me about periods, but there's no conversation, or until recently there hasn't really been that conversation between women about the menopause? No. I think social media has helped a great deal and because women are able to talk without being edited through the usual channels like this, this is also going to sound really cynical, but because <laughs> menopause isn't seen as being, you know, it's not a sexy stage in a woman's life, all of our information has been passed through the filter of the, the white man in charge yeah. and they're not interested in older women because historically all of the stuff in the press has been focused on younger women so older women are seen as being you know irrelevant which is clearly not true <laughs> so through social media then we've been able to have our own voices heard it's sort of like you know it ties in with the me too movement and all that sort of thing this is a common issue that is going to affect you share experiences and find out information that's going to help improve your lot. And that's led to the rise of things like the menopause cafes, which are brilliant. What and are these? Up all over the country. There's a woman called Rachel Weiss in Perth, and she set up a, just what it is, a menopause cafe. It's based on the model that the death cafes were, where you would get together to talk about end-of-life care or people that had been bereaved and they were wanting to find other people in the same situation mm -hmm. to share experiences and get mutual support. So she took that model and set one up for menopause cafes and it's massive because women want to, women are very, very good at giving each other supportive information in a sort of informal capacity. So they just get together in a cafe and talk about their menopause, about this is affecting me, is this a symptom for you, what have you tried, where did you get help, I'm struggling with X, Y or Z. Oh, what a um, cracking idea. Like, is this just another um, case of Scotland having all the good stuff or is it travel south? <laughs> well, we get the rain as well. So. <laughs> we get that as well. <laughs> It's a great thing. If you look at our website, if you Google Menopause Cafe, it shows you how to set one up. And a lot of big um, organisations are now putting them into their workplaces because the benefit that it gives to the women who just don't feel so isolated, uh, well, they're, they're doing it to improve, <laughs> to improve productivity, but that's fair enough. Right? Who cares what the motivation is? If it makes you happier and makes you feel less alone, that's got to be a good thing. Absolutely. And again, you've led me very neatly onto something I wanted to ask you, because obviously we sort of concentrate on how the menopause affects a woman's personal life. But it's not just about that. You've been writing some workshops for Unison about menopause in the workplace. So could you tell us a little bit about the whys and what's of, of that? Yeah, organisations are starting to look at how to support menopausal women at work 
mainly because of the impact it has on their productivity, really. You mm-hmm. know, like you could dress it up and say it's to do with well-being. I personally don't think that if you've got guidelines and legislation to protect women who are pregnant in the workplace, why you would then wouldn't extend that to women that are menopausal because the, there are changes that take place that will impact on their ability to work that with a little bit of support for a short period of time could keep them well enough and managing well enough, I mean, to be able to continue in their employment. There's an awful lot of women who drop part-time hours and who leave their workplace because of symptoms that could be accommodated with reasonable adjustments. And the main thing is just having a culture where you can actually discuss the problems that you're having with your manager. The common one is about the temperature. And if you're in an open plan office and you're having flushes, you need to be able to adjust your temperature so that you're able to actually focus and and do your job. So women that have to wear a uniform at work, it's really hard to layer if you're wearing a uniform. Is there a way that you can adjust that? Is there a way that you could change your office setting so that you're next to a window or could you have a fan? And simple adjustments that could make a big difference to women's ability to actually do her work. And then when that's like for women that are professional, have a degree of autonomy in what they do in their working day, they, they've actually got it a lot easier than if you're looking at women with zero hour contracts or jobs where they don't have the ability to make these simple adjustments. So if you're working in a call centre and there's restrictions on how often you can go to the toilet, how do you deal with flooding? How, how do you actually cope with that in the workplace? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, I don't know. I, I, I suspect they just leave. What has the response been from workplaces? The big organisations, and particularly ones that have got relationships with the trade unions, has been really positive. There's lots of places that are starting to put in like things into the employee assistance programme to try and support women and having training sessions for managers. So that, because if the women don't know what the symptoms are, then male managers are highly unlikely to. <laughs> there's, been, there's been a couple of cases where employers have got into trouble. They've, they've contravened the Sex Discrimination Act and different Discrimination Acts and have been sued because of discriminating against women because of their menopausal symptoms. So there's quite a, a motivation from big workplaces to try and avoid potential claims. I don't care what their motivation is, as long as they're putting it in place, women are, are able to function in a more reasonable way, then that's great. Absolutely. Um, some workplaces are going to have a challenge with it. So, you know, if you're if you're a firefighter and you're relying on equipment that's designed to do a job and you're having a flash, how do you get around that? But there was work done in the Midlands with the police force looking at stab vests and things like that, which, you know, are do they have to be made in that particular way? Can you adapt it? Is there a way of getting women a break from you know, going out into situations where they're having to use that equipment, can you adjust their their workload for a short period of time? Because it might only be a couple of years that they're having these symptoms for, and she could still have good 10, 15 years of service to to go before she would be thinking about retiring. Mm -hmm. I think that it will change in the professional sphere. It will change more rapidly than it will do when you're looking at women that have got lower paid jobs. But I'm hoping it'll be a trickle-down effect. Let's hope so. There's something that Mm. you've brought up a couple of times which is incredibly interesting, and it is that it's very hard for changes to take place when women themselves, women ourselves, don't necessarily know what we're looking for. 
Yeah, it's crazy. And this is, and I think that we should be teaching this in schools. And in fact, there's been, there's a campaign, um, Menopause Matters, that's got a hashtag, where they've successfully got the English um, education system to look at including menopause in sex ed, which is only logical because we're at the moment, you know, like my job is I'm a pelvic health physio, so I see leaky ladies all the time. And I know that I would be out of a job if our young people left school knowing what um, normal peeing, normal pooing and normal sexual function are. Why are we not educating our young people about what they can reasonably expect from their body during the course of their lifetime so that then it's not a shock to them? And also these young people, when you're 16, 17, the chances are your mother is of an age to be menopausal. Mm-hmm. So it might help it might help them understand why their mother is, you know, a bit of a I'm thinking about my own kids now. <laughs> a bit of a screaming harpy in the morning. <laughs> like like my, my kids get a quite a hard time one week a month <laughs> where they're completely unreasonable and I I'd like to think that it's them being unreasonable, but I know it's not. And you know, I am completely unaware of the the change in my behaviour because to me at the time, whatever they're doing that's driving me crazy this week didn't drive me crazy last week. It's a problem that needs to be addressed, but there is a, a definite pattern. My poor husband thinks that he's getting divorced once a month because I tell him, and it's, it's <laughs> my mood. <laughs> it's my mood that's affected by my hormonal changes. So if we could support young people by saying... <laughs> this is normal but it's not it's not always manageable for you know if you've got a mum at home who's behaving in quite an unhinged fashion you know you're not on your own and it might be related to the menopause this is what the menopause is and you know some of the the symptoms I'm kind of making light of it but some of the symptoms that women can have are completely disabling and they destroy relationships they can there's lots of marriages break down with women in their 50s it's quite hard to tell whether that's just because they've run out of patients or because it's the menopause <laughs> that's impacting the, the way that they are behaving. And this could be easily alleviated with them having a bit of basic education about what they can expect, a bit of insight and seeking help. Hello. Yep, still me. Sorry. If you're listening to this at the AM of Sunday the 15th of September, there is still time to grab a ticket and come see us at the London Podcast Festival with Tanya Lee Davis and Yomi Adagoki at 4.30pm at King's Place. And or to send our Jen a birthday tweet. You'll find her at Inspira Jen. Happy birthday, mate! After that, our next live event, also at King's Place, is on Friday the 4th of October, where we'll be chatting to the joy of morning TV, that is Alison Hammond, and AN other guest, as yet, TBA. Ooh, exciting! Tickets are available from the King's Place website, www.kingsplace.co.uk. We'd bloody love to see you there. The other thing that you mentioned earlier was that obviously at the bottom of the heap are old, poor women of colour. And with Mm. a lot of sort of gynaecological issues, I'm aware that women of colour... There seems to be a lag there. And I wondered if that was something that you saw in this particular case. Yeah, so the field that I work in, in pelvic health, almost all of the data that we have is taken from women who go to clinic. And women who attend clinic tend to be white middle class Mm -hmm. urban women like me. So we don't really know very much about the rest of us. And when you're looking at menopause specifically, I was at a talk last week and there was a very interesting speaker 
talking about the gaps in data. And um, we don't know anything at all about women of colour because nobody's actually looked at their menopausal health specifically. If there's any sort of breakdown in the demographic about menopause and how it's impacting on different populations, then it tends to be in different countries. It's not even down in race, it's just lumping together Scandinavian countries in one pile and, you know, the states in another and what happens in UK and developing countries is kind of missing. But looking at the breakdown of women, British women, that we need to be providing services from, they're they're missing from the data. And it's totally unacceptable because, as you say, women of colour are predisposed to having more of these problems. And I actually, I tried really hard to try to get a woman of colour to talk to about the menopause for this series because mm-hmm. obviously it's really important to get a wider cross range of diversity as we can and there's one book and I couldn't get hold of the author but the information just isn't out there no and there's also like there's often the cultural differences as well with the way that menopause and women's health is perceived and I I mean I am not an expert in that I'm from the west coast of Scotland I know very very little about intersectionality of cultural taboos and um, within feminist concepts but I know it's a problem because in clinic I noticed during Ramadan that the Muslim women were failing to attend people that I was expecting to turn up weren't turning up and I spoke to my friend at the school gate, I live in Edinburgh now and there's a mosque in the the school gate and she said well it's Ramadan They're, they're not to be sexually active and for a start I didn't I didn't know that. For another thing, I was like, what do these women think I'm going to be doing to them in clinic? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, I'm good, but I'm not that good. (laughs) So (laughs) they were concerned because they knew that coming to clinic might mean an internal and because there was a bit of confusion about whether that was breaking the rules about Ramadan or not, then they weren't turning up. Simple things like my ignorance about cultural requirements meant I was confused about that when actually it's just a matter of talking to the community and explaining you know <laughs> I'm not paid enough <laughs> to make this a sexual event <laughs> <laughs> you can come to your appointment <laughs> but also it goes back to if this was something that was taught in schools then we'd be yeah. hitting all of the young girls and therefore a lot more women going into adulthood and also obviously it's equally important to teach boys about stuff like this so that they know as they grow up what the fuck is going on with women. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And that's how to get rid of taboos. It's only a taboo because we're told it's embarrassing. This is a normal event in a woman's life. Some of the symptoms are without a doubt embarrassing, but there's help available for them. So because we allow it to be seen as shameful, that prevents help-seeking behaviour, which is just outrageous because women land up living in absolute misery for problems that are often really pretty easily resolved. And if they're not, if they're, so I think the stats are there's 30% of women don't have any problems with their menopause. 30% have some challenges, but they can manage them themselves with, you know, diet or exercise or layering or changing the, the way that they approach sleep, for instance. And 30% will need to have some sort of intervention like HRT. And of that 30%, 10% of them are properly disabled and their lives are, are really disrupted by the symptoms that they're having. So there's a significant number of women that are going to have some unpredictability during the potentially 10 years that this could have symptoms in your life for. So if we tell our young people, then they know about it and that is the way to change shame. That and hearing women's voices, like 
you know, in the workplace saying, look, this is a problem, I want a fan. <laughs> and, <laughs> not, and not being mocked for it, not being made to feel like you're, you know, you're off your head. But one thing that I hear from women is that they're concerned that this will become another stick to dis- use to discriminate against. You know, don't give it to Janet because, you know, she's a bit... She's a bit old and dried up and shriveled and irrelevant. I mean, it's That's an understandable concern, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Mm. Like, there's, there's so many ways that women get discriminated against in the workplace. And these things have not changed. But the law is the law. And that's why, you know, there are a couple of cases that are, are well known in legislation and there will be more. They're not allowed to discriminate against you. You've just got to be able to talk to your colleagues, which can be a challenge because if you don't know what the symptoms are and you're ashamed of the symptoms that you're having and your boss or your line manager that you need to speak to is a bloke who doesn't understand these things, then that impacts on women's lives for no good reason, as far as I can see. We should be able to talk about it. I couldn't agree with you more. Elaine, you were recently at a big menopause meeting. I'm pretty confident that's exactly what it was called. What did you find out that's new? Lots of really interesting stuff. There are more menopause clinics than I thought that there were. They seem to be, I don't know if they're increasing in number or just that I'm becoming more aware of them. So there's 14 health boards in Scotland and seven of them now have a dedicated menopause clinic, whereas I thought there was only 13 in the whole country, which is encouraging. There's definitely more appetite in the press for this stuff Mm -hmm. as well. There seems to be more information, more people discussing it at a parliamentary level. Certainly in the Scottish Parliament, there's been some really interesting and very frank discussions had in Parliament, which is huge because you've got to be able to use the words in order to describe the problem. So I'm I'm kind of loving that. Um, (laughs) There's far more protections in the workplace than I knew about. There was a very good lawyer speaking about the the sort of policies and procedures that should be in place um, from workplaces, given what the legislation is. The unions are far more on things than I understood. Unison and the STUC, we're speaking the Scottish TUC, have got lots of things in place to do with, they did a big um, menopause survey in 2017, trying to find out the symptoms that people have. And the three things that they spoke about was insomnia, and bleeding at work and the procedures. So if you've got a job where you're required to do a procedure, so you've got, you know, a manual skilled job, but you're sweating from your flush and the sweat's running down your arms, that interferes with your ability to do the procedure. Of course. Which kind of is completely logical. But if that's not a symptom that you get, that's not a thing that you know about. But it is reported well amongst women in this, like lots of women reported this in their research that they did. And the main thing that women complained about was the way that it was discussed in the workplace was, I think she said 63% of them said that it was treated like it was a joke and that bothers them, that prevents them from being able to discuss it because if you don't think you're going to be taken seriously, then you're not. Yeah, it was a really interesting day. It was uh, Hollywood Magazine had organised having a bunch of great speakers. It was really good. I wish everybody had been there. <laughs> so, Elaine, if a woman is of an age when the peri might start kicking in, or indeed deep into it, or way beyond it, where would you suggest she start to get the information and help that she needs? Online, there's some very, very good resources. The British Menopause Society has a really good website that's full of evidence-based information. 
Um, the Menopause Cafes has a really good website. Henpicked is good. They have lots of stuff to do with workplace things. And for actual help, then you need to go and speak to your GP. These websites have got lists of the symptoms that you can look at, and there are there's about 100 of them listed. So just go through, see what your experience is, tick them off, and go and speak to your GP about what could be put in place for you. There's been a lot of stuff in the press recently about HRT and about the you know, the safety of it and the availability of it, but we've got to ask. Absolutely. You know, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. So, yes, don't put up with it, really. Get get some evidence-based information. There's a lot of woo out there, so look for things that have been written by medics or have got references behind them rather than, you know, going and spending 50 quid in a pretty magnet for your pants. I'm not sure that that's... <laughs> I'm not sure that that's actually useful. <laughs> Somebody gave me one of those. I know that lots, lots of women swear by them. <laughs> I shouldn't be different. Talking about not putting up with stuff... While I've got you, tell us about Dry by Christmas. Oh, I'm so excited. So I thought about the power of social media and how she's got a smartphone. And I was at a talk, a conference where Samir Gray, who's you know an expert in public health, said the biggest innovation in public health in recent years has been the smartphone because you can access people 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I am going to run a campaign starting on the 24th of September where I'm going to tweet and Instagram three times a day for three months because evidence is if you do your pelvic floor exercises three times a day for three months, you'll be dry. And the 24th of September is three months before Christmas. So hashtag dry by Christmas. So I'm going to see if it works. I am new to Instagram and to be honest, it's really hard and it's dead annoying because everybody says oh Instagram's so easy it bloody is not <laughs> anyway I'm gonna, I'm gonna get it sorted it might be clumsy because I'm not great with social media but the information is evidence-based and hopefully engaging so I've got lots of funny facts and photos and images and things but if you see my avatar flash up then hopefully it'll make you think about your pelvic floor and remind you to do your exercises and the evidence is about 70% of women that just wet themselves if they laugh or cough or sneeze if they do their exercises three times a day for three months they will be dry so see if we can get dry by Christmas. So where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at Gussie Grips G-U-S-S-I-E G-R-I-P-S and I'm Gusset underscore grippers on Instagram, which demonstrates how crap I am on social media because they should be the same name, shouldn't they? <laughs> They've got a very similar theme. I think you get away with it. <laughs> I'm hoping to collect some data from it. I'm hoping to see if I can measure engagement and get stories from women about whether or not it actually helps remind them to do it in the first place, whether that changed their symptoms and whether it prompted them into seeking help from the GP. Because I've got a research project ready to roll with Galway University, but we can't get the funding. Um, so I'm going to run it as a kind of pilot study and see if I can get some data together. Um, because there's so many gaps in our knowledge about, about women's health. And we know with this, there's gold standard evidence that pelvic floor exercises help the majority of women yeah, kind of get evangelising about about vaginas. The children are very fed up of it. But <laughs> well, we're, I'm not fed up of it. I thank you and applaud you for your championing of vulvas and vaginas. Thank you. Well, thanks for mentioning it because with any luck, it'll work. 
Elaine, thank you so, so much for talking to us. It is fascinating, slightly worrying, scary, but also there's some positives in there. So I really appreciate that. So yeah, thank you for all of the information. Thanks for having me on. Standard Issue for All Women.